0: Hi, everyone, it's Jen DeWall, and on today's episode of the Leadership Habit podcast, I met with Amanda Joe Irvin, who goes by Joe. Amanda is the president and founder of Audit Consulting Education, LLC. During today's episode, we discuss her newest book, Our Choices on the Road to Life and The Road to the Chairman's Circle. This episode is one of my favorites as we discuss the importance of showing up as ethical leaders, a topic not often discussed. Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall, and I am so excited to welcome Joe Irvin to the Leadership Habit Podcast. Joe and I will be talking about ethics and leadership, and we are also going to be discussing her newest book, "Our Choices on the Road of Life." Joe, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Jen. I am so excited to be here.
0: Now, Joe, for those of our listeners that may not be aware of you, can you just go ahead and
1: tell us what you do? Absolutely. So. Let me tell you how I actually start every ethics presentation that I give. I hope it's engaging. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably scared about it. Uh, That's right. The topic, (laughs) they're already turned off. So you've got to turn them on real quick. And here's how I do it. I don't do it. I talked about myself, but I don't do it in this typical speaker way. I actually go way back in time. And I tell the audience about myself when I was two years old, three years old, even show a picture of my kindergarten graduation. Oh! <laughs> I know, right? And so you ask why, I'm sure you're thinking why, because this is really where ethics started for me. It started at a super young age. So you see, I was this child that always liked to point out when other people were doing something wrong. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I, I would have been on your bad list. <laughs> You know, the ones that lie or cheat or maybe even steal. Okay, maybe not that. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully not. Um, You know, from tattling on my older siblings to telling the teacher when someone's eyes weren't on their own paper. um, That was me. I was the tattletale. Um, But now I like when people say I was just a really short whistleblower. That's kind of my tagline. So that's how I I start. That's how I start my presentation. So... Perfect The short whistleblower. Yes, the short whistleblower. No, so now you can see why I became an ethics instructor, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, and we need
0: ethics. We know from even you know, if you turn on and watch the news or go to your computer and read the, no- the news, there are tons of cases of where when ethics aren't honored, companies go under, people lose jobs. There's so many consequences that can happen when we don't have ethical leaders. That's right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I want to jump into talking a little bit about your book because you had talked about character choices. So when you think about ethics, how do you narrow your behavior as a leader
1: to be more ethical? Yep. That's a great question. And I think, like we mentioned at the beginning, it can be kind of this topic that nobody wants to talk about. So I approach it in three different character choices. So when you look at the news, like you said, you see a lot of what I call, and I actually took this term from an author I'll tell you about in just a second, the big me. The big so me. the big me. David Brooks wrote a great book called The Road to Character, and he used this term, the big me. And it really resonated with me because while he takes his book to depict kind of historical figures and talks about how it used to be the little me over the big me, in other words, people would put society first in front of their own needs. Today, when you open the headlines, right, read, read the news anywhere, it's all about people really putting themselves above everything else, whether that is society in general, a team, community, even sometimes your organization. Um, But that's to me where a lot of this is starting. And that is obviously the worst of the character choices of the three. So that is the first one. You want to hear the second one? Yeah, absolutely. So the second one is where I'd say 99% of us live, and that is the ethical rationalizer. So you've probably probably heard the term rationalizer or maybe even the term blind spot. And that's what I say is kind of the middle ground. That is where most of us live. We rationalize some of our behavior. We have these great intentions, but we tend to act contrary to them. And we don't even know we're doing it sometimes. Does it even count when I'm speeding on the highway? Ooh, now here's, so I guess. Because I that. Yeah, in my, great, right, you're in a hurry, right? <laughs> Same thing, I always use the, um, I do qu- quick little ethics quizzes in my presentations because I like to get people just thinking of the things that might seem inconsequential. So it's, somebody forgets to ring something up and you get all the way to your car. And I ask people, what do you do? Do you go back in or do you rationalize? You don't have enough time. You've got an important meeting. Um, does it depend on whether that item that they forgot was a $2 item or a $200 item, right? These are the the things we all think about in these decisions, these choices, hence the name of the book, um, that we make every day. So that is, that's the middle bucket. I love that. Ethics is all about choices. And it is. I feel like I was ethical last night. I
0: had an appointment and... She had initially charged me just for that appointment, but I was naughty and I canceled within her 24-hour window. Uh And I told her I would pay at our next appointment. And then she forgot and I had to remind her. So I'm like, I don't (laughs) want that in my conscience that I did not pay her for something that I missed because I canceled outside of the window. Right. And
1: so I feel like I was... On the middle ground of ethics. You, you were. I watch, I have an eight-year-old son, and we actually watch a show called Brain Games. Oh. And there is an entire episode on um, watching people. They, they do kind of the hidden camera And how they behave if the um, cashier gives them too much change. Are they honest? Do they give it back? Does it depend on whether the person behind the counter is nice to you or not nice to you? And it's a really, really interesting, and it's a great show for kids. um, But it's a great episode that shows how do we, how do we always, are we always honest, right? Even in those little situations. Well, and you brought up a
0: good point. It is easy sometimes to rationalize that person maybe wasn't so kind or they were really rude. So you don't even think about it. You're just, you know, ready to say, well, you were rude to me. So that in some way you're entitled to the benefit that you gave, even though it's not
1: ethical. Exactly. That's the rationalization that a lot of us do. So what is the third character choice? So the third character choice is what I have trademarked as the everyday ethicist. Which everyday can, ethicists. yeah, can be a mouthful, um, and I'm actually writing the book as we speak, and literally living and breathing and researching every day for this book. But essentially, the everyday ethicist has a mantra like "silence is not golden," or "speak the truth, even if your voice." shakes, or never compromising their integrity at any cost, even if it's $2, right? Right. Um, So one of my keynote ethics presentations is called Say Something Even If, and that is really what it means to be an everyday ethicist. So
0: it can be, that can be a really scary place. It can be. The Say Something Even If, and I think it's hard if you don't have a culture that, where you feel trust and supported it can be really, really hard to maybe if you're maybe an unknown person or
1: don't have a lot of power, it can be really hard to say something even if. Absolutely. And that's why I loved when you invited me to talk about this from an ethic ethics and a an leadership standpoint, and how can we truly be an ethical leader? And I think the only way one can truly be an ethical leader is if you say something even if. You have to have that quality in your back pocket. So... Oh my
0: gosh, I'm excited to just dive into this more <laughs> and I feel like I even have more insights because it is such a challenging thing to be right or wrong and to be so exposed Absolutely. when you do whistleblow or when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I know that we're going to get more into that. I wanted to talk about another piece from your book, which were the, the road to the chairman circle, which is, you know, taking our ethics, like how can we continue to find success while well, being ethical leaders, you talked about five different milestones mm-hmm. um, that we can hit on our road to the chairman's circle, which is
1: where we all want to be. That's like the optimal level of success for ourselves. Absolutely. So yes, the chairman's award, chairman's circle, however you want to call it. Here's how I do this in my live presentations. I actually have everyone get, I, I put a bunch of blank papers in the middle of the table and I have everyone grab one and I say, I want you to write down every quality of the person you most admire in your in your life. You know, that can be from the highest integrity to they, they're always on time to, you know, they've just earned everyone's respect, whatever it is, those qualities, you know, and I, ha- I challenge them to write down 10 or 15 things. Then I actually have them rate themselves on each one of those qualities that they wrote down. Um, and, and honestly, that's the first step, that's the first milestone. That's how we get to be very self-aware of where we are on our own road to the Chairman's Award. So that is milestone number one, becoming self-aware however you can do that. Some other ways that I think are great ways to do that, you had a great video on feedback, how you give it, how you receive it. I loved watching that um, because feedback is one way that we can all become more self-aware. And of course, it's great if it comes from our trusted advisors or even our closest friends or family, however, you can get that feedback. Um, But that's another great technique or tool that you can use to really become self aware of yourself. So,
0: right. Well, and I, you know, I have to assume that there are some people that may not be aware that their behavior is blurred in the ethical Mm -hmm. line spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so, that feedback is so valuable to help you really see clearly. Of where you need to pivot to ensure that
1: you're more ethical. Absolutely. Before you see whatever you're doing on the front page of the paper, right? You want to act you know, ask those around you to be honest with you and say, you know, what do you think about this that I'm about to decide or do or actions? So that's why I always tell everybody, think about what you're doing. If it would be on the front page of the paper, would you act differently? Right? Oh my so. gosh. Yes, that's well, the epitome of being self-aware. <laughs> if you were
0: recording me driving down the highway on my way to work, I may not want to be <laughs> on the front page. I wouldn't say I'm that. I just speed. Okay. Yes. I speed and I move <laughs> in and out. Coming out. Yeah, it's like I coming out. I wouldn't say I'm, you know, like banging or like following or doing anything to that, but I definitely, I'm not ethical. I, I speed I mean it, and I go in and out of traffic and I try to get there <laughs> as fast as I can because
1: traffic. <laughs> He was portable. I know, and, and everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to make Jen take my six question ethics quiz after this because actually, it's not whether you speed; it's what you do when you get caught. Wait, that we, I should, ask. we should do the six questions on the podcast. Oh, We could do that. We could do that. They're this very simple. Vulnerability. We definitely. I'd love to do that. We'll save that if we have time at the end. Okay. Let's uh, talk about your second mile. Sure. Or your second milestone, which is finding your passion. Yes. So. Honestly, I think you cannot be a leader in anything you do if you don't love what you do. So, Bottom line on earning the chairman's award is you're never going to get there if you're not in a position or a job that you absolutely love. So that's what I mean by finding your passion, um, making sure that you're working towards those longer term goals, not just the short you know, fixes, band aids here and there. You've got to be making sure you've got long term stretch goals and you're passionate about everything you do. Um, otherwise, you're you're just never going to get there. The person that you write you wrote. Down that you admired more than anyone in the world, they were. I guarantee they were passionate about what they do. So that's definitely something you need as a milestone there.
0: Well, and I've always heard the expression "energy goes" or, or "passion energy goes or passion flows." Is that it? Oh yes, yes. 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 Where and it is tr- like for me, it's very true to me. When I am excited about something, I'm a pretty enthusiastic person. That's as, right, as a normal level, but when I'm very excited it's, there's no telling like how much
1: I'll work for that, how much I want it, how much more fulfilled I feel when I accomplish it. And you don't realize how much you're influencing others. Your energy is contagious, right? Your passion can be contagious. And that is, um, that's, that's super important as well to earning an award like this, right. Or, or being in the chairman circle is that you're influencing the others around you positively as well. Perfect.
0: So milestone number one, being self-aware. Milestone number two is to find your passion. Yes. What
1: is milestone number three? Milestone number three three is fine tuning your grit. So love, I no, love the word. Everybody grit. loves the word grit, right? Angela Duckworth yes. wrote it. I excellent. Love that book. But yeah, I just posted another article, yet another article about her and her study of grit, right? She studies West Point graduates. Um, her, her book is excellent, but she, she, uh, takes grit and puts it into two categories, passion and perseverance so to me this piece of fine-tuning your grit is really the perseverance part it is doing your passion step two milestone two no matter the odds no matter the obstacles no matter the challenges that we face we know we all face them that's a fact of life but it's how we do that how we overcome those challenges you'll notice that person you wrote down on your list from step one as well I guarantee they've faced a lot of challenges and they've persevered through it. So this is a matter of, of you've got to figure out the best way to do that as well.
0: And sometimes, maybe even going back to that list, ask them if you really think they possibly did not have to overcome adversity anyway. Ask them, right? You know, ask them what their story is because too often we compare ourselves and assume that someone's road is easier than ours, right. or that they're getting it right and we're getting it wrong, and mm-hmm. then it can just take away all of our energy to be able to move forward i i love grit because in that book too if i'm recalling it correctly she talks about just that difference that like you could be more highly talented highly Mm -hmm. educated more x y and z but if you don't have grit you will not do more or achieve more than the individual
1: that may be less talented have less resources but has that grit exactly so she said she's she says talent is not alone is not enough. Skill alone is not enough, right? Um, you need more than that. You need a culmination of, of things. And, and that is what she coins as grit or terms as grit. So, I loved grit. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're
0: always reminded, even in the entrepreneurial space too. I saw this shirt when I was at the dog park and it stuck with me so much. <laughs> and he was wearing a shirt that said, I eat nose for breakfast, right? <laughs> like that is one of the best shows. And that's a testament to grit. Yes. It's, Yep. There's going to okay. be a lot of no's. There's going to be a lot of mistakes. There's going to be a lot of failures. It doesn't mean you're meant
1: to give up. It just means so, you have to figure out how you can pick yourself back up right. and move forward. That's right. I and I write in the book, there's a, a Thomas Edison piece where he found 6,000 ways to fail. When they ask how, you know, why did you keep going? Well, I didn't, you know, I, I no, I, I believe that's what it was. 6,000 ways for the there's nap- something, yeah. yeah there's yes. something like that. There are multiple ways to, <laughs> to fail, that's and right. you can keep trying. But he <laughs> succeeded at that, right? That's what the, the way you just—it's your mindset. It's how you look at something, right? I didn't fail six thousand times. I actually found six thousand ways to fail. So it's—it's it's just your mindset and how you look at it. So, oh gosh,
0: and that's what's so important because that's the one thing that we can always control.
1: Yeah.
0: Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall, and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Are you looking for a proven program to improve your management team's communication skills and create happier and more productive employees? Are your leaders able to take your strategy and break it down effectively for their teams to achieve your vision? Are they able to inspire and motivate their employees to produce real results and meet daily demands? Great managers don't happen overnight. Partner with Crestcom to develop your team and obtain results. Whether you are looking to improve employee engagement and reduce turnover or cultivate a more inclusive culture, our intensive leadership development program provides a diverse set of tools and skill sets for leaders to thrive in today's workforce. Contact us at Crestcom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now back to our podcast. Let's go into milestone number four, becoming a problem solver.
1: Yes. So I like to say becoming a problem solver, not just a complainer. So it's becoming that person that just doesn't point out when something's wrong or something's going wrong. You actually do something about it, right? You are not just part of the problem, you become part of the solution. So that's what I mean by being a problem solver. You go above and beyond at your organization, within your position, you just figure out what what went wrong, the root cause, however you want to look at it, but you're constantly just also looking for ways to improve upon things, right? Not just,
0: uh, you know,
1: kind of, settle in the the what is or the negative of things. This is the, let's just solve the problem and move on, move forward from it. Yeah. Take a little ownership instead of saying, not my responsibility.
0: I don't have Mm -hmm. to look at that or, oh, that must really suck that you, my teammate over there are going through that. Sorry. Yeah. You know, like figuring out how can you be more collaborative? How can you be more open? How can you take accountability? and really use that to help someone else or solve yes. that problem and come up with a viable solution. That's right. Engage in that
1: implementation of a solution, however you can do that. Yep.
0: Perfect. Yep. Now, the last milestone is focusing on the factors for earning respect.
1: Yes. What does that mean? How do you earn respect for
0: the people that really are struggling to do, to do that? that?
1: Yes. Well, number one, I think it started with step four. You solve big problems, right? You focus. I always say major on the majors. So you can't, you know, constantly get hung up on the little things, whether that's in life personally or professionally, you've got to focus on the big things, the big rocks, however you want to look at it um, and identify those root causes of those problems that will in itself, especially within your organization will earn you more and more respect. My second real big thing for knowing you've actually earned respect is when people seek you out for advice. So that's actually a great test and a great Testament to say, I really think I've I've gotten there. I people, I am now mentoring others more than I'm being mentored. Even though I think both roles are equally as important, absolutely. Um, but but really, how can you focus on helping others so much that then they come to you and they're they're seeking you out for advice? So that's one of my big uh, factors for earning respect. And the last one really is delivering your function, and of course, ethically falls into play here, but being obsessed with delivering it the best you can. So this is where everything matters, whether it is an email presentation that you write, whether it is an actual presentation, a PowerPoint presentation that you do when you stand up and speak at a meeting, whether a, a small meeting or a big meeting, right? Everything matters. Attractiveness counts um, in a every profession and i think um, i just don't tell me go for gold in everything you do even if it's a two-sentence email so really just delivering your function whatever that function might be those are really my factors for earning respect
0: yeah be intentional with what you're putting out there and the perception that you're creating Mm -hmm. because perception is reality right that's executive presence right there if you want to be the executive if you want to hit chairman circle you have to act like that in your communication in your appearance, in your interactions, in your relationships.
1: Yeah. And it, and it goes back to, um, you know, they, that one famous quote, integrity is, is doing the right thing when no one's watching. Right. So it's about doing the right thing or carrying yourself well, no matter who's watching, because you never know who's watching. And I think that is from an ethics standpoint or just a, a chairman standpoint, it, it is just really making those good decisions no matter who's around. Right. Yeah, That's yeah.
0: I mean, you have a clear conscience. Yes. Right. remember yeah. that like we own that. And you know, it doesn't feel good when you make a mistake and or you do something that may not have been. Because I know that there's on the there's got to be a spectrum for ethical behavior, right? Where there's the small piece where, OK, they you know, I might have taken a dollar or <laughs> not even that bad. So I feel bad when there's money involved. But there are definitely things where you're like oh, maybe the office, gonna, supplies, yeah, that like,
1: office supplies. Yeah. one comes up a lot. Office supplies. Right. Or like
0: Oh, they forgot to charge me for like this, mm-hmm. but, and it was an extra that was supposed to be 50 cents or a dollar whatever it is, right. you know, they seem nominal, but really it's all about ethics. Like you're yes. still violating ethics in some
1: way. Yes. Which, yeah. In yeah. and, and my very first ethics presentation, I called Ethics Simplified and I actually showed start that presentation, and I still do it every once in a while with a picture my son drew in the first grade, they were all asked to draw doing the right thing. And it is amazing when you see a, a lot of six year olds, what they think that means. And I like to break down ethics back to it's just doing right or wrong. It, it is a little more black and white than it's become in today's society. Not a little more, it is black and white, uh, more black and white than it than it is when you open the paper and you read. All of these um, frauds or unethical things happening in the workforce tend to start small, right? And that's what we read about. And that's what kind of, you rationalize the little things and it can get out of hand into the big things. So the point is let's eliminate even the small stuff.
0: Absolutely. And also be the role model for the behavior that you want others to mirror or replicate. Right. If you're stealing office supplies or you go on that, you know, lunch or dinner on the company and you order a million things, actually, is that ethical? (laughs) If you're ordering an excessively priced meal that you wouldn't typically order Order because the company is paying for it, is that ethical or is that
1: not? Is that even part of the ethical spectrum? Oh, there's there could be a lot to the ethical spectrum. (laughs) We could probably talk for hours on
0: this. I know there's just so much. Well, in addition, in your book, you talk about the four mile markers on the road to leadership. And we're going to talk about maybe four or five of these, depending on how much time we have. But one of them was that a genuine leader is a model for ethical behavior and inspires others to do likewise. I know we just touched on that, but truly it's about being that role model.
1: It is about being, it's about walking the talk, really, no matter who you are, what position you are. I always like to say, everyone's a leader, right? We hear that all the time. If you interact with others, you're a leader, right? You have the ability to lead others. So it is truly just knowing that one little white lie can send a signal that hypocrisy is okay. It, it opens those floodgates for, you know, little things to become big things. Um, so it, it's just really watching at your every move and being very, um, like you said, deliberate about your actions. So that's that's what modeling the behavior is to me.
0: And I think that's so important for the people that are, Maybe sitting in higher level roles within their organizations who, whether it's a director or a vice president, manager, I mean, C-suite, of course, the higher up that hierarchy you go, the more your words truly matter, your words and behaviors. You're the one that has the power. You're the one that's setting the example. So if you're unethical... Or you make a you know oh that's not that big of a deal you can just bypass that well that's right. the behavior that you're infusing into the fa- like your
1: cultural fabric right yeah there is an excellent book um, little I read a different ethics book probably every day the power of ethical management um, and it's co-authored by Ken Kenneth Blanchard who wrote the one minute manager um, and Norman Vincent. Peel, I think is how you say his last name. They go into a story, I think it's a pretty famous story actually, of a young man and all of the things the adults in his life do his whole life, from when he's little um, up through college. And it's a really insightful. Little tiny things along the way, you know, you don't, your your parents don't um, tell when something on the bill doesn't get charged and just his kind of observations of life. Um, And then something happens to him big in school and he's caught cheating and he gets kicked out and his parents come back and say, we cannot believe this, you've disgraced us, we've never taught you to be, be this way. But the entire story is the things he learned from his parents and his grandparents and his aunts and his uncles along the way. And it's like, that is what we're teaching. And we have right. to be very careful, um, especially with our children on what we're showing them. We don't even think we're doing it. Um, but it's if you're interested, it's an excellent little story. No, there. it sounds really yeah. neat. And I yeah. think
0: that's true, I think as, you know, I'm not a parent, but I I know that that's the most difficult thing for a lot of my friends is knowing what are they being, you know, what's being tallied in terms yeah, of their tally. child's development? Because yes. it's hard to know until you kind of see that when they play it out as an example to know what right. they're picking up on. Absolutely. But being sensitive Absolutely. and intentional about it yourself will help you make better parenting choices yes. to help your child be more ethical as
1: they grow older. Yes, definitely. It definitely, it was, de- it, when I read it, it hit home with me for sure. So
0: now, another, huh? uh, another one of the mile markers that you talk about is.
1: A genuine leader is never a lapdog. What uh, does a lapdog mean? Okay, so this one, um, I even in my presentations, I say, no, this could be offensive to some people, that term. So I actually put a picture up of my little tiny Pomeranian lapdog just to kind of <laughs> ease the crowd a little bit on this one. Um, but what it means is when you open the newspaper and you look at some of these scandals that have happened in organizations, I always say there is someone else that knew right? Someone else knew what was happening. What I mean by don't be a lapdog is speak up. You know, don't be the person that says, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, or I knew it was wrong, but my boss told me to do it. That is, to me, the classic business rationalization that occurs. um, And that's when we become this lapdog to others that are unethical, um, perhaps in our organization. So it's really just it, bottom line is speak up. That that's the big, um, I'd say, statement behind not being a lapdog. So yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard. And I'm going to say this from personal experience. I once had a boss that asked me to do something that was highly unethical, and it could have actually resulted in a lawsuit if anyone caught on. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the legal team to verify, after he had told me that I was not able, you know, to just keep going with it. I went around him and asked our legal team and then I was reprimanded for asking our legal team. And so it's so interesting for yes. how that works out. I mean, I didn't end up doing what he had asked me to do, but it was very interesting because that also started to change the dynamic of how he saw me. So it is really, really, yes. it's a lonely place. It is. And a if you're going place, to start to yes. call out ethical behavior, unethical un- or unethical behavior. It can be really, really challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am here. I'm fine. I still am so proud of my choices, but it definitely wasn't an easy go after I had done that.
1: Yeah, and I think um, that the lap, Dog role. Um, even if you think back to something like Enron and the CFO Andy Fastow could be considered um, someone that was in a in a lap dog role. You know, kind of he he still rationalizes that he really never broke a law. He never broke U.S. GAAP. The lawyers said, you know, never said anything was wrong. Like those are those classic rationalizations. Um, so it, it, it happens so much more. Your example, I get examples probably two or three a month. Two or three people come up to me after every ethics presentation and want to tell me something that's happened that they've been through in their careers. So um, we've all been put in that position at some point or another. it,
0: It creates instant disengagement. Absolutely. Because how do you want to support any organization or boss that. I would say it tolerates that Mm -hmm. and accepts it. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, that's, it's, you know, it's really, really hard to stay engaged when you watch that type of behavior because it does lead you to wonder, what else is happening? If this is one of them, like what else is happening that I'm not even privy to? Right. And maybe it's time to find a better place for me. Yes. You know, and that's, that's a great thing. I think that if you're starting to see where your values are being crossed or you're asked to do things, Mm -hmm. you know, like find a new opportunity. Do not stay in that environment because you could risk depending on how big that scandal is being pulled down with it just by knowing that it's there being that lapdog and not, doing anything
1: about it. Right. Yeah. I always, I ask in a lot of my trainings, if their boss is in the room with them. And the reason I ask that is because I tell them I'm going to challenge them to make sure their personal values match their organization values. And if not, it might be time to leave and even challenge, do your personal values match those of your boss? Because it's very important to make sure that you're in the right fit with the right leaders. Otherwise, you can't lead ethically as well. So
0: Absolutely. If they're your roadblock. <laughs> exactly. Not going to work. It's just not going to work. Yeah. So we just touched on this, but genuine leaders love their
1: whistleblowers. Yes. Then I get to put my picture up as a child again on the screen. Um, this one to me starts with not even having what everybody calls an open door policy. I always tell everyone, have a no door policy. You listen to anything and everything that comes your way. Um, That to me is loving your whistleblowers. And whistleblowers is is an extreme word, but it can be People just admitting a mistake. It's having that leadership of being so transparent and open and vulnerable, making sure everybody around you can walk in the door and tell you when something's wrong. So that is truly what I mean by love your whistleblowers, that no door policy.
0: How do you get the whistleblower to love themselves? That's a scary Mm. place. Like what advice would you have for a whistleblower? That Or someone that's
1: contemplating maybe saying something right now, what would you advise them to do? You know, I think in an organization where they genuinely have leaders that love their whistleblowers, it's not as hard, right? Because you do feel like it is an environment where you can come forward and there won't be any backlash. Now, I think that is very rare um, in in today's world, unfortunately. Um, I'd say I talk to... A lot of groups, specifically women's groups, but it applies to everyone about being what I call pro self. And that is proactive and selfish. And to me, that's what whistleblowers kind of have to, to rely on. They have to know, hey, I'm getting in front of this. I'm not going to react to it later. I'm going to be proactive, which is the right thing to do in a lot of facets of life. Um, And be selfish because I I try to turn the negative, bring the negative out of the word selfish. It is okay to put yourself first. It is absolutely okay to put your personal values first. And the more you remind yourself how important your own personal values are, I think the more you will love yourself for doing this and be proud of yourself for doing this. But this is why I love teaching about ethics, because I have so many people tell me I needed this check. I needed to bring this back to the forefront because we all think we're, we're ethical and we have integrity. Um, but if we don't remember and remind ourselves every day, I have an everyday ethicist contract that I hand out. So you can post it on your queue. Right. Um, we need to be reminded still of these things. And the more you have belief in this and belief in yourself, the more willing you you'll be to come forward i think so right and starting to
0: just challenge yourself yes to be an everyday ethicist yes i'm sure in the beginning it could probably be a challenge it might start with those office supplies that you have to go out and buy your own (laughs) right right (laughs) just go buy that ream of paper at walmart yes (laughs) absolutely go and get some big pens at target you're gonna be good to go but it's you know like i'm sure that can be a challenge but it is a great i would can they access that on your website? Where do they get the um, to? Because I think everyone should probably have that hanging in
1: there. It is not on my space. website, but I tell you what, if anybody listens to this and wants it, just email me. I know you'll give my uh, email information after the webcast. So personal email to me and I'll make sure you get it.
0: Absolutely. Because I think we all need the reminder. Maybe I should put it in my car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or maybe I should add something about speeding on there. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I love that that's how oh, that equates to me. It's like constantly, oh, what are the other? And I'm trying to think about the things that maybe I do that are not as ethical as what I, because I probably don't notice that they're, because they're not so big and in your face. and. Right. It, Maybe ones that I've seen with consequences, so I may not think they're that bad, or I do that rationalizing where I'm like, "This isn't that bad," right? Because I know that there are things that I do, and I just can't readily think of one beyond speeding,
1: right? And that's what I mean. People in my classes, I have some very healthy debates in my ethics classes because there are so many people out there that think ethics is not black and white, that there's a lot of gray area. And I think where that comes into play is how serious they think it is, right? If no one's lives are at stake, you know, how big of a deal is it really? And I think that's the term that a lot of people think of when they think of ethics. So
0: like, it's not that it's, bad. Exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. the
1: office supply. They're not
0: going to miss this stack of post-its. Exactly. It's totally fine. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. <Yeah>. Starts there. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do your managers know how to build an effective team? Can they create an environment where teamwork is encouraged while setting appropriate benchmarks and delivering projects on time? Are they able to align expectations so their team works effectively toward common goals? You hired the right team, now let us help you develop them. CrossCom offers a robust leadership development program that focuses on results. Each month, participants learn and apply key leadership skills and tools that will unite teams and drive organizational growth. We are serious about accountability. After each class, we help participants apply those leadership skills in group coaching sessions. Are you ready to take your leadership development to the next level? Contact us at crosscom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now, back to our podcast. Another mile marker that you talked about was about a, about ethical leaders is that a genuine leader doesn't overcommit or
1: exaggerate. Yes. So one of my favorite quotes is, it's much better that the truth beats what you say than if what you say falls short of the truth. So that's kind of a, a, m- a mouthful, but um, really it's just about be fact-driven, be honest, um, and don't try to make it either yourself or the numbers ever look better than they are. This is what gets people in trouble. This is um, where you see that culture. It's that over-exaggeration of, um, you know, inflating revenue, those kind of things that you see businesses get in trouble for. And it's right. the little white lies um, that start, especially when you're talking leadership, that get leaders into trouble. So um, the over- Can you over- give me an example yeah. of a little white lie someone uh, might tell? Um, I, one of them- that I've seen personally at an organization and um, actually just watched a, a news a journalist report on a CEO in Silicon Valley that um, lied on their resume, right? Lied on their resume, lied on LinkedIn, you know, there are some examples of leaders that start out at their organization with little white lies, and yes. they might think that it's not that big of a deal. And it, you know, I think a lot of the justification there is that it, if it just gets me in the door and then I can do good things while I'm there, right? I think there's a lot of embellishment going on in resumes, and I've seen it in really top leadership and positions. I think you actually, I have seen it a lot mm-hmm. in LinkedIn, and that's so strange to me mm-hmm. why people... Because you think it's provable, right? (laughs) It's like, yeah, actually, so I'll I'll touch on the one. I actually started showing a short clip of um, Shannon Spinake was the CEO, um, of Clio, the organization she stepped down in August. So this is very fresh a couple months ago. Um, they talk about her, um, top hundred woman, women award in from the Grace Hopper foundation and Forbes uncovered. There is no such thing as the Grace Hopper foundation. And they're the what? only place this award showed up was in her LinkedIn profile. And, um, so it's, it's a really interesting, um, video that they released just from actually Wanting to interview her and her company as one of like the top new startups companies, so it, it went in to be a positive interview and, and turned out to uncover this in complete embellishment by the CEO, who's then stepped down. So it, it, those are little things, right? I think it in the it all started because she lied about her age at the beginning. So um, little things matter, right? And um, so anyway, that that's my that would be my example, and I think it's happening a lot more out there. Um, well, especially yeah. as people feel that,
0: you know, they want those, I'm sure they see it a lot in tech, you want those popular, attractive positions, and you know that mm-hmm. there's top talent going for them. So you want to do whatever it takes to stand up in the crowd. Absolutely. And I see it on LinkedIn with people wanting to embellish their LinkedIn, or they modify kind of the history of their role, and
1: mm-hmm. they make
0: it look like it's bigger than, than what it is, or it's different than what it is. And right. You know, what's the protocol? Because I feel like I don't think I would call someone out for that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think. So I think there are other yeah. things I naturally right. would, but like, I wouldn't say, you know what, Susan or whoever that is, <laughs> I, I'm going to challenge those facts on your LinkedIn
1: profile. Right. I know. How do you, can, yeah. do you call that level well, of ethical I, behavior? I talk a lot and, and I'm an auditor by nature and everyone thinks auditor is a bad thing, but I, I truly, I try to teach internal auditors within a company to really do add more value than they currently do. And we actually talk about, um, auditing culture at an organization and it's one of my favorite things to talk about and one of the things i provide in my um, total quality auditing workbook is actually a checklist for personnel selection and some of the questions that you can start asking in interviews and really to me it is putting aside that resume and really you know digging deeper into some ethical um or integrity questions behavioral how would you respond in these in these situations but um You know, I think too much. We focus on those things on those resumes and we're just asking about those things. What if those things are fabricated, you know, on on that resume? So to me, it is all about just using some really good gut judgment when you're starting to interview um, people. And because that's that's really the critical
0: I mean, how do you really? How can you even think to doctor your resume? I'm like, what? Would I, how would I doctor mine? I mean, I guess I would no, come I up with some really I good love roles. love like, university so, like, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I love it so much. So, would I change that and say I went to Harvard? Like, I just couldn't
1: even. Do that. One of the examples, and this will hit home with you as a as a speaker, and as well as um, sh- the the. CEO that I just mentioned, she actually put on hers that she was a UN expert on her LinkedIn. Well, she had spoken at a workshop um, at a UN conference twice. And they said, you know, not really does that constitute you as a, you know, a UN expert. Uh, And so it's, it is just taking those little things and saying it's more than than what it is. No, I'll just say this, but they will find out. I mean,
0: it's a digital world. So if you're going to put it out there digital public facing expect that there are going to be people that notice yes. that challenge it that have questions yeah. that could uncover so it to your point
1: i bet it starts happening more and more i really do i think as we all get better at um you know we know employers check social media all the time now uh so i i think it's gonna it's gonna get to that point where you're really validating what's out there about a person so yes yeah. and they have to you yes. have to know who you're hiring that's right oh my gosh okay
0: so there <laughs> we, have our, we have our last mile marker which is a genuine leader knows professional conduct trumps business conduct.
1: Okay. Now that, so, that one's a big one. I know. I think that your business conduct is important too. Right. right. So let me tell you um, the best way that, that I have found to explain this is actually a way um, Tom Peters explains the difference between the hard stuff and the soft stuff at an organization. So the soft stuff, the people the culture, the ethics, um, the leaders, the relationships, the soft stuff is what's hard at an organization. The hard stuff, the numbers, the bottom lines, the profits, that's the easy stuff. That's the soft stuff. That's the stuff that should just happen naturally, right? It should be what it is. Nobody should be working at them, right? right? Um, And so that's kind of what I think between professional and business. So professional is the softer stuff. Professional is how you treat others, Uh, the care that you have for your customers or your patients at the end of the day, whoever your stakeholders are at your organization. um, It is keeping them in mind first. Business conduct is I got to make the most money of any of my competitors, right? So it is, when I say professional conduct trumps business conduct, sometimes if that business conduct comes first, that's where we see these companies in the headlines. They're worried too much about their bottom line and it gets out of control. They set too high of goals and people start unethically reaching them. Um, If they were more on the professional side and the professional bucket, um, they would never even think to do that. Right, You're, you would never um, inflate the numbers, right. you know, for the cost of of your shareholders. Uh, Who was, was
0: that woman? Investment. And you might know it better than I do because of um, where your area of expertise is. But there was that woman from Silicon Valley that was selling the. What was that? About? Blood
1: testing device. Yes, yes. Yes. So yes. Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos, is one of my favorite cases. Um, yes, she is, uh, you know, and, and she is actually one that I, to go back to what we started this conversation with, the big me, her vision, and, and people will call her a visionary, w- was too big, right? It was, she was the big me. It was all about her to the point of sacrificing the patients, right? Not even getting accurate blood tests blood testing results. And there was a lot of um, victims per se along the way of her, but I actually call her one of my classic big me examples as hers. And I actually just finished a great podcast um, series called the dropout on her. Uh, if anybody's interested in that story, because I'm enthralled with it. So, oh my gosh, yeah. I want to learn more. Yes,
0: <laughs> she got a lot of people to buy into her message, Correct. to her business, even though it was all a fabrication.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yep. And I am, um, and I actually just to credit, um, I'm a huge fan of John Bogle, who was the CEO and founder of Vanguard, who passed away in April this year, and he is really the one where I've. I've I've got the professional versus business conduct. So he was obviously in the financial services industry. And in that industry, advisors can put people in in bad investments, right? Because they get higher fees or more commissions on those investments versus others. So he always told all of his employees to, professionalism first before right. our business. Um, and he's he was highly successful and so is his company. And I think that shows a lot today and that, that should be modeled in other organizations. No, that's it,
0: yes, absolutely. It's all about our modeling. Yes. So I have loved our conversation so much, but I know that we have to wrap up. So I have to ask you our okay. final question, okay. which we ask to
1: everyone, okay. which is what is your leadership habit for success? Oh, you know, I'm gonna go full circle and tell you it's say something even if I think speaking up can be a habit if we do it enough. Um, our choices on the road of life actually has an entire chapter on the choices we make around our habits, and um, one thing I I mention in there is that you have to choose the identity you want. And build the habits around that identity. And I think if you want an identity as an ethical leader, you have to build those habits. And speaking up is a great place to start. So whether it starts with the the little things when you see somebody taking that ream of paper home or whatever it is, taking uh, the paper from, yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> from the bathroom, start small. Um, you know, and obviously use discretion, but start somewhere and really start speaking up, standing for standing up for what you believe in. Um, remember that silence is not golden, right? Speak up, even if
0: be yes. brave.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, Joe, yeah. thank you so
0: much for taking the time to be with us today. It was such a pleasure to interview you. Thank you. I loved being here. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast with Joe Irvin. To purchase Joe's newest book and find out how you can book her to speak with your organization on ethics and much more, head on over to auditconsultingeducation.com. And if you like today's episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and family and write us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service.